Welcome back to another episode of OBGYN Rocks podcast, where we try to bring you the voices of our department of OBGYN and share a little bit of what makes our department so amazing. We are thrilled today to welcome back Dr. Daniel Cavelli, who has very graciously shared uh, a ton of knowledge in this episode. She will share three guiding qualities of transformational leadership, 10 principles that have guided her through her career and continue to shape the type of leader she is today and continues to become. Um, And while you're listening, definitely take time to think about how you will communicate your why for being in medicine or really, if you're not in medicine, what you do every day. Um, Dr. Cabelli suggests we should all create an executive summary to try to communicate this better as we're going along through our careers. It's awesome advice, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks so much. All right. Good afternoon, Dr. Cabelli. How are you? Oh, good afternoon. I'm doing okay. It's good to see you. Really good to see you. Um, it, we are... And National Doctors' Day today, so yes, happy, happy Doctors' Day, Day to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, how is your Doctors' Day so far today? I have done every, almost every single aspect of my job as a doctor. I've done a little bit of patient care, a little bit of teaching, a little bit of research. So uh, it's a happy Doctors' Day. Excellent, excellent. And I saw that um, you have some beautiful new flowers for your office yes. and some cupcakes yes. from the yeah. staff. Pretty awesome. It is. It is. <laughs> Oh, great. Well, I know it's been a really busy month. You've just come off of chairing a, one committee and moving to chairing the next year's committee for different national societies. Tell us a little bit about your busy month. Well, you know, uh, this is what happens when you don't press your no button <laughs> in a timely manner. It was not entirely planned like this. I was the program chair for the Society for Reproductive Investigation, SRI, and we were supposed to be... Um, running the meeting 2021. Well, we know what happened with COVID searches Mm -hmm. and uh, we ended up having 2021's meeting in July of this year. And uh, my term as program chair, program director actually is what it's called uh, of the committee uh, for the program got moved to this month. Um, So that's how that worked out and then uh, my very good friend and colleague, uh, Stephanie Blank, is the incoming president for the Society for Gynecologic Oncologists, or Oncology, I think is what we call it now. And, um, and so uh, I could not say no to her because we were in residency training together and sort of have grown up through the system, and I'm so incredibly proud of her. And I'd love to really try to make her meeting absolutely amazing. And so that's how those two things happened. And then of course, when I signed up for the original thing, I really had no idea that I was going to become a chair of a department. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what happened. That's amazing. Uh, well, we would love to talk to you today about you know, the leadership that you've developed along the way, the, the skills that you have and that you're sharing and mentoring with other people. Um, a wealth of knowledge they're just ready for you to drop it and (laughs) learn from you (laughs) well I don't know I think I think that my knowledge is like uh, stumbling or learning along the way try not to make the same mistakes twice kind of knowledge (laughs) 
It's pretty good. <laughs> Not a lot of magic there. Okay. okay. A lot of hard knocks. <laughs> um, well, let's see. Now you're going on, is it two years yeah. officially? June, June, June 2020 will, be, will okay. be exactly two years. Okay. It'll be two years. So it's gone by very quickly. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah. Maybe we can start there with kind of surprising things about being chair, hardest yeah. thing, easiest thing. Is there anything easy? Ah. Rewarding? <laughs> well, I mean, I think the most surprising thing about being chair, and when I talk to my colleagues around the country, it's sort of like, you know, and, and they say this and it's so cliched but true. You learn one academic medical system, you know one academic medical system. So it, the complexity of the system, and just I'm still learning. I'm still learning how things work. Um, I'm still learning um, about this particular academic medical system. And so the complexity of it, I, I anticipated it would be complex. I guess the surprise is just how complex it is. Mm, yeah. Um, and then the funny thing that I say to myself is it's so complex and we still are able to function. How does this happen? Right. So it's quite incredible that these huge systems, bureaucratic systems with layers of layers and upon layers of how things get done actually get things done. So that's been surprising. Yeah. And any thoughts about how those layers could be uncovered a little bit so that they don't well, have to be so they complex. They don't have to be so complex. We recognize that we don't have to do some of the things that we've always done. We, uh, you know, uh, living through this COVID pandemic is showing us this, that we have an ability to adapt and pivot uh, in a moment's notice if we need to. Mm -hmm. And so, I think what I'm interested in thinking about is how do we adapt in a purposeful way as opposed to waiting for a pandemic to hit us? Why don't we think about how we transform medicine, healthcare, science in a way that's thoughtful, strategic, intentional? Purposeful. And so, yeah. Incidentally, I think that's one of the words for the SGO program next year, is that Purpose. right? Purpose. Purpose. That's awesome. Okay. One of the words. Yeah. yeah. Patience is at the center. Purpose. Progress. It's exciting. Um, all right. So, your purpose. How did you find it? Um, how do you tell and help others find it? I know everyone has to find their own. Yeah. So, but. Thoughts? Well, I mean, I think that uh, I, I think I've always had um, some level of drive or purpose. Um, and that's just by accident of birth. That's the family I was born into. I think that there's um, an undercurrent that's just part of our, part of our, I don't know if it's a combination of culture or just what we've inherited mm -hmm. of, of a certain amount of drive and, and uh, you know, that you're doing things for something that's greater than just doing things, you know? And so I think that that's, that's part of, kind of the family I was born into. Um, I also think we have purpose because of the field we're in. I mean, the underlying mission of health care and of medicine and of science is to, is to treat people, um, to relieve suffering, to advance science to help humankind, 
I mean, so there's there's mission that's part of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. I think um, that our systems, again, back to the complexity of these big bulky systems, um, sometimes we forget what that mission is uh, because we're just grinding day-to-day -to, -day to get through whatever our tasks are and we forget why we're here. And so if you recall, that first thing that I asked every single faculty member when I arrived two years ago was, why do you do what you do? And I think the way you find your purpose is to start asking yourself those questions and really find ways to answer it for you. And so the word of the year this year is alignment. Mm -hmm. My word of the year for 2022, um, because not everything is aligned. And it doesn't have to be. It doesn't mean you're a bad person or I'm a bad person. It just means, you know, our, our stars are not aligned at the moment. And that's okay. That's all right. Uh, so, so that's a long-winded answer to sort of get at what you're asking. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you asked me earlier, what's the hardest thing about being chair? And I think that's why I chose the word alignment. Because the hardest thing for me is managing expectations. That's the hardest part of this job is that um, I'm really trying to listen hard and sit on my hands when I am seeking feedback because that's what I, I want. I want to know if people are on board with where we're going. I want to know what they're thinking. I want to make sure that we're on the right track and we can course correct. But at the same time, I always want to, like, it's so hard for me to burst in and say, but we couldn't possibly do all this in two months, you know? This is something that actually takes 10 years to do, or, you know, um, or actually we could do this in two weeks. Why is it taking us six months? Yeah. Ah. And uh, so managing expectations is one of the hardest things uh, that I've, I've found, and uh, relying on other team members to sort of help me navigate that has been very helpful. And it's not an easy job. There's, no, there's nothing easy yeah, about nothing it. Yeah, nothing easy. <laughs> there's nothing easy about it. Uh, but again, that's part of my, sort of my makeup that I, you know, uh, my family members make fun of. They're like, well, don't get bored because, you know, I think it's part of uh, the challenge is, is what I enjoy overcoming challenges and solving problems. There's something, something deeply satisfying and and overcoming something that's really hard. Um, so I don't shy away from it, but it is it is exhausting, and I have to figure out ways to sort of pace myself in sure. that. Sure. So, yeah. I do feel we've all had to question how do we get comfortable with the uncomfortable mm -hmm. in the last year, maybe more than ever. Yes. And it's important to be able to give voice to those discomforts yeah. to, to work through them. I remember Dr. Nelson saying when he was here, the only way is through. Yeah. Um, and you continued that, you know, kind of welcoming the discussion of the discomfort. Yes. Which isn't easy. But. Well, I mean, I seek, I seek, uh, I seek feedback because, you know, it, one of the things that we've talked about in the lab uh, with my team in the lab is is the there's a reason they're called experiments. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
you know, mistakes are supposed to happen. Yeah. If you knew the correct answer, you wouldn't be doing the experiment. It would have been answered already. And, uh, and the only way we grow is to learn from our mistakes. And so that's just a hard thing to hear when you're type A and you're used to being, you know, the, the fallacy of perfection, I say, because I don't mm -hmm. think it's real. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think one of the things that perfectionism does is, is it either makes people give up where they don't even wanna try because they can't be perfect, or they're so hard on themselves and other people um, that they can't identify their own mistakes and end up deflecting um, sort of there's collateral damage from that yeah. and so I am trying to find ways to model and describe an alternate path of not having to be perfect of not having to be perfect because we have, we're going to have a lot of these uncomfortable conversations. We're going to have a lot of challenges of your fixed beliefs. We're going to have a lot of difficult change that we're going through. And we have to have the courage to fail. We have to have the courage to, to slip up and stumble and then get back up and say, oh, okay, my bad. Actually, I was responsible for that catastrophe over there and I'm not gonna do that again. Help me find ways to prevent that from happening. Or, oops, I made a mistake. It was like an honest mistake. Ugh. Or whatever it is. But I find that with perfectionism, people tend to wanna to cover up mistakes mm -hmm. um, and tend to wanna blame everybody else for how, why this problem happened. And right now, I want all hands on deck working out the problem as opposed to blaming people. Absolutely, great. Well, we will keep trying. <laughs> all philosophical. Yes, These are philosophical sure. things that I spend a lot of time thinking yeah. about, right? Yeah, and you've shared lists of, of Yes. You know, personal and professional yeah. guiding principles, which I think are. Yes, are yes, I have. So I have. I, uh, the really nice thing about being at a national meeting in person was, um, you know, I think that there's something important about uh, professional engagement that's sort of the meeting outside the meeting. So Absolutely. if you go for yeah. coffee with somebody or you go to dinner or you you end up meeting with your peers who, are, who in fact are going through similar things you're going through and um, it helps reduce that isolation. And I think, um, I guess the other surprising thing, although I knew it intellectually, but just surprising how it impacted me personally is the level of isolation that occurs in positions of leadership. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was a lot of fun to see other chairs yeah. and sort of, on the side go, are you having this kind of issue? Yeah. Oh yeah, so whew, I'm not alone. And so um, we were at dinner and um, off the top of my head, I was like, there are three things that I feel are essential for transformative leadership. And the big categories, number one is courage. Um, so we have to have the courage to, to step into these roles to speak up. We actually have to have the courage to act 
and, you know, make decisions and then act on them. And I find that um, as physicians and as surgeons, we're pretty good at making decisions when we're in the clinic, we're pretty good at making decisions in the OR. We're not that great making decisions as leaders. Um, it's not entirely part of our training and, um, and it's a skill and it's a skill. It's a learned thing. It's not something that's kind of an intrinsic talent, I don't think, although some people may have it. And so sort of doing those reps of these small decisions and building to the medium decisions and then bigger decisions and then standing by my decision, feeling the fallout of the decision mm -hmm. and still standing firm takes courage. So that's number one. And the number two is emotional intelligence and awareness about yourself, others, situation, environment. I feel like that I've had a good portion of my life, but now I'm in this new role. Yeah. So, yeah. so my impression or what I thought of how I looked or was or behaved in other situations, well, now I have this position and role that comes with these other responsibilities uh, you know, may, maybe I need to adjust some of this stuff and then maybe I need to regulate in a different kind of way. And so for this, I've actually um, hired an executive coach, which has been very helpful in helping me talk out a variety of scenarios. And so it doesn't mean that I'm less authentic or anything like that. It's just understanding different situations and how I want to be in those situations. Right, that you didn't find yourself in previously. I didn't find myself in previously and um, and it's it's actually really helpful because it keeps me focused on what it is I'm trying to do mm -hmm. and 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 how I want to get there um, in ways that you know you just don't think about yeah if yeah. you're not in these positions and then finally um, this piece I've thought about quite a bit because um, just the process of interviewing for a position like this and then being on search committees and then mentoring um, faculty, I think everybody needs a one-page personal executive summary. All right. I really do. Yeah. Uh, because that synthesizes who you are for yourself and uh, your own vision, mission, values. It synthesizes for yourself your own expertise, knowledge, and skills. So you can talk about you know, what sort of knowledge, skills, expertise you have as a gynecologic oncologist, but you know, lots of people are gynecologic oncologists. So what is it about you? you know, what is your niche? What, what makes you unique amongst your peers? And then I think people don't think enough about their leadership style or about just kind of their own personalities. And so, and then finally, you know, bringing in a little bit of your lived experience that influences all of the things that I've talked about. Mm -hmm. So for example, I mean, I do a lot of this stuff. I'm, I've mentored and sort of sponsored and kind of sought out this information on my own because I'm interested in it. Um, but there are books like Simon Sinek's, um, uh, I think, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blank on the name of the book, but, but it's this golden circle where at the middle is why, 
okay? Mm -hmm. Why, how, and what? And um, he's got a great TED talk on it and there's a book related to it and I know I'm misquoting what the name of the book is. But I think that those sorts of things help you define who you are and your authentic self that you're bringing to whatever position you're applying for. Mm -hmm. And then that lets you understand if you're aligned with the position or not. So if you understand who you are, then you know you have a better sense of what you're bringing to this position. Yeah. And, um, and I've sort of noticed uh, through what I've described as these, the variety of experiences in, in my own interviewing for jobs like this and being on search committees and now sort of mentoring slash coaching people is that that this is this is not paid attention to enough and you can sort of see the differences when you're interviewing people who's really thought about who's, what they who's really do thought about they, it yeah, yeah who's really yeah. kind of probed it. and these positions are hard this job is this is not for the faint of heart and <laughs> you kind of have to have a strong core right um because otherwise, you could be, whew, there's a lot of gusty winds. <laughs> <clears throat> and not just with the weather. <laughs> no, 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 my friend. No, my friend. And so uh, so those are the three principles. And then I have other things that, you know, we can talk about. I don't want to go through a checklist here. But I just, I think those are the, the kind of the core of, yeah. of what I've sort of come to understand over the past few years. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's um, really helpful to hear it and, and really thank you for sharing and opening up about it too because I think that sometimes in any position you're always looking forward mm -hmm. and you're helping those below but you're also sort of adjusting, right? We're always mm -hmm. adjusting mm -hmm. to whatever new position we have. Um, so just I think the acknowledgement that there's still adjustment at the yes, height of the levels that you achieved. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's what I enjoy about it. Yeah. I am constantly learning. Yeah. I'm constantly pushing myself to think about things in a different way and to stand sort of by my beliefs and values and just test, can I, can I do it? Can I, um, you know, one of the challenges I, I asked myself is, can I do this job as me, as mm -hmm. my authentic self? Um, and, and that is, you know, that's one of the hesitations sometimes people have for not taking on a job like this because they feel like they'll, they'll lose themselves in some sort of way. And uh, so my challenge is this alternate path that mm -hmm. says, no, I don't have to. I, have to. I don't have to do this exactly like everybody else does it. Um, now I'm not going to be all off in a corner doing something really, you know, offline. Right. Right. Uh, but at the same time, I think that um, that's what we mean by diversity and inclusion is bringing people who have different voices um, than the traditional. And then looking to the future, you know, somebody like me is a traditional chair. Absolutely. Huh? Yeah. No, you've, you've advanced the narrative so much and we're... We're all winning. <laughs> I well, think, I hope you know, so. I, I really the... hope so. I mean, I gave one of these talks the other day um, to um, the, it's, um, I think it was a, a physician scientist or one of the training programs. And um, 
and I, I don't think that they expected me to talk about myself and sort of do this kind of real personalized journey of how I got here. And so when I finished talking, the room was completely silent and there were no, there was like, well, does anybody have any questions? And I thought, gosh, I've really bombed this talk. And it was very, very awkward for a few minutes. But what most interesting to me is the first person who stood up and asked a question was a, uh, a young um, surgeon, white man, asking about how he can retain his authenticity during his surgical training because he feels like he's losing pieces of himself mm -hmm. during his training. And so that was important to me because it says, you know, if you listen to people who are normally excluded from these arenas, yeah. who uh, we're telling you, believe us, that some of the stuff that we're doing in medicine and science is so toxic <laughs> that we're losing our humanity no matter who you are. Like, you don't have to be a black woman to understand that there's some aspects of how we deliver healthcare that is problematic for everybody. So, so I think that that's, um, that's just an example of why I'm choosing to continue to tell these stories in a way probably or present. For instance, when I present my science, I will typically have a slide about my own professional journey. Mm -hmm. Well, not a lot of people present a scientific presentation and then put that up. And, and, and that's one of the reasons. Mm -hmm. I sometimes we read the books, we listen to the, the things to do, we try to be our authentic selves, and then there's a meeting where there might be four or five microaggressions that you don't even yeah. realize at the time, and, you know, forget all the books, right? Yeah. How do we change the moments, the little moments that make for that toxic culture? that well, we hope, can't even call yeah. out at the, that time. Like, we're trying to speak up, but... Well, we need more people to call it out in real time, and I think that takes courage. And I yes. think if you've seen one of my slides, I talk about the fact that the, the tormentors are the people who've motivated me as well, not just the positive supporters, but the people who frustrate me the most are the silent bystanders. And sometimes people are silent and are actually actively helping you, and you may not know it. So that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the true silent bystanders who are like, whoop, I'm not going to get involved with yeah. that. Yeah. Or, or they're too afraid to, or they think it's going to... I mean, if you have enough people speaking up, things do change. And, um, and I think we're learning from our very brave students and our very brave learners. They're not taking it. Yeah. We're also learning from the shift in culture from patients. Mm -hmm. Patients are not going to stand for a paternalistic, condescending approach <laughs> to care. You know, more and more patients, advocates, survivors are speaking up and speaking out, and we can learn so much from them. And if they're brave enough to say things, we can too. And I, but I also think that they're tools that we can use mm -hmm. And we need ongoing training to give people the tools to, to show them how you can counter these, these things. Um, and you can't always fight your own battles. So that's why you need lots of people in the arena who can pop up 
and kind of step in front, r remove a barrier, give you safety. Um, there are multiple roles in this uh, dealing with a toxic environment. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. so well like probably till 27 15 there's nowhere to even edit it's oh, amazing good. yeah um, how do you right reconcile I mean this hierarchy of medicine that yeah. has just existed forever um, we're trying to we're, change, we're in the midst of a curriculum change yeah. we're, we're shifting it all I totally agree that our learners right now are, are going to be a part of this change for good. Um, but the bravery that it takes, like the courage that it takes when you're not in a leadership position is, is maybe slightly different than yeah. when you are. Yeah. Is that no, it is, but, but the people in leadership positions need to make space for this. I mean, this is, this is an ongoing problem, and we know what the problem is. And it's about the, the, the problem is how do we... There, there are some aspects of medicine, for instance, surgical, surgical subspecialties or surgical specialties. There are technical aspects of what we do that require um, exposure to the technique, repetition, exposure to the technique again, feedback in real time and later, reading, knowledge, skill. And that is graduated, that over time. You're not gonna be an expert surgeon the first year you finish your fellowship. And that is managing expectations. You know, I am 20 years plus out of my fellowship and I'm still learning. So, you know, yes, I have expertise in gynecologic oncology and yeah, I guess I'm becoming one of the more senior people in the field. But, um, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I'm but not laughing at that. I, totally, I am, totally I am laughing at that. I'm just like, I just can't even believe it. Um, but, you know, I also have to have that insight to say, um, you know, there was a year when I peaked surgically. You know, there are certain surgical procedures I'm still really, really good at and I should continue to do. There are some of these things, if I want to continue to do them, I need to go get more training or I need to scrub in with more people, or I need to do something to, to stay at that level to protect patients because I need to keep up my skill in that sort of way. So I have to have that sort of insight, and then the system has to be able to have pieces in there that are monitoring me so that I'm not trying to do something that's not within my scope. I mean, it's in the scope of practice on paper, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I have to have some some check and balance outside of me to say, you know, you either go back to retraining or you're gonna have to do something different. Right. And right now in our system, it's kind of hodgepodge with that. The other thing with leadership is that I cannot do it all. So in choosing to enter into this particular position, I've had to say there are, thir there are certain things I have to give up. And over time, I'm giving up certain aspects of what I used to do because this is a different role. Yeah. 
and that's okay. And I really like the fact that, you know, I came to this understanding that, you know, nobody's going to take away the fact that I have these degrees and I've board certified times two FACOG, whatever these, these right, FACS, right, right, right. that, that, that's not taken away. I don't have, I don't have additional things to prove there. Yeah. And it's not about proving anything anyway. Yeah. Um, so trying to get people to think in that way is, is really hard for people whose identities are wrapped up in this profession. And I understand it because I love what I do. I love, love, love this career choice that I made, that I'm still on. Um, but I'm more than that as a person. And so that's really helped me Well, read your list, please. I would love to hear. Oh, oh, personal and professional guiding yes. principles. Okay, yes. principle. There are ten of them, and um, this is this is uh, adapted from Simone's maxims, uh, which is the yeah, which is that publication. Very depressing that came publication. Out. Yeah, that yeah, but I it's it her. gives <laughs> I I that is a motivating publication yeah. for me, and yeah. I I read that as an early faculty, and uh, I always have a copy around. I don't agree with everything, but I think uh, just having some guiding principles is important. So principle number one is show up. It's a uh, Pareto principle, 80% is showing up. Um, you know, 20% may be the hardest part, but the 80% showing up, um, I think is so important professionally and personally. Um, and we may not always show up in person as we see through COVID, it may be through Zoom, but you know, showing up, um, uh, is is showing a commitment to whatever if you've committed to something show up and the second principle is show them who you are and i think that um that's part of that authentic style mm -hmm. um that i'm i'm thinking about and it's not it's not the whole um on social media where we're just telling all our business that's not what i'm that's not what i'm talking about i mean it's like showing you know, what you're made of, kind mm -hmm. of, who, you're, who you are as a person. And then you've got to know who you are. And so that's back to that golden circle, why, what, and how you do things. And a lot of people, when you ask, um, who are you, or why do you do what you do, um, they sort of stick with the superficial kind of, well, uh, who are, oh, I'm a, I'm a professor and chair of a department, you know. And, and maybe I'll add in what I do. Well, you know, I lead this major department at a large academic medical center. I run a lab. I, I see patients and do surgery. So that's the what. Yeah, it actually gets really long really fast. <laughs> it, yeah, it gets long fast. But again, that's not so deep, yeah, right? Yeah, that yeah. doesn't really tell me. It just It's kind of checklist of things. And then, then ask yourself why. And so there's this uh, exercise of five whys that we do to find a root cause of a problem, right? But when you start asking yourself why and ask that five times, that's rather hard. Um, but I think, you know, it gets down to the core of I wanna make a difference and, but not just superficially. And so the, the why is important. And then number four is, my, is one of my favorites, belief 
believe folks when they show you who they really are and it's adapted from a, from Maya Angelou mm -hmm. you know um, and it's not uh, when I presented this to my lab they're like I don't understand it I, you mean like first impressions I'm like no 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 this is somebody's core behavior it's a pattern of behavior mm -hmm. and somebody can say words to you but if you see who they really are by how they act and treat people and behave you don't believe them so I call it the Tanya test. When I was at uh, University of Kansas, it was the Norma test. Norma was my assistant okay. there, and Tanya yeah. was my assistant here. And so somebody will come to my beautiful chair's office and talk to me, and we will have a fabulous conversation, and they'll leave my office, and then I'll ask Tanya, how did they treat you? Mm -hmm. Did they look at you? Did they greet you? Did they say goodbye? Did they thank you? They did none of those things. That tells me a lot about who they are. So I'm giving away the Tanya test. <laughs> that is a key secret. <laughs> I love it. That's a, I mean, I mean, I just how you treat anyone is how you treat how everyone. You treat, right? How you treat people, how you treat people, mm -hmm. not just what you say, but what you do. And um, I'm, I'm a real. I've gained some really clear skills knowing how to discern that just based on my lived experience and um, in this job has has helped me hone those skills <laughs> and so number five is you can be what you can't see so I tell people if I was waiting for a black woman gynecologic oncologist chair of a department who was an ovarian cancer researcher to show up in my life I'd still be waiting and um, so that means that I've had um, to kind of imagine this, um, imagine myself in a position like this, even though I didn't see anybody who looked like me who was in it. And one of the ways I can be, I, I was able to do that is other people planted seeds in my head that this was possible. And they believed in me so much that I ended up believing them, right? So this wasn't something that I just came up with on my own. I had, you know, it, it hadn't occurred to me that I could be a chair. It wasn't, a, you know, one of my early career goals mm -hmm. or anything mm -hmm. like that. And when I was division chief um, at University of Kansas, I actually had given a talk here uh, in St. Louis right before I started that job. And um, we were at the Cardinals stadium um, and uh, I think I've already told the story but you know a couple of people came up to me and, and had heard my talk earlier in the day and they said you know you, you're gonna be a chair one day and I was like nah <laughs> come on I have right, no right. desire to do that job you know like <laughs> like it didn't even it, it wasn't you know I thought I was gonna be a division chief and maybe do some stuff in the cancer center and I just this was not and so but they saw something in me and full circle at SRI, I was on a panel with one of the people who had, who had sort of planted the seed and I was able to thank her publicly. Oh, yeah, so do you know, yeah. it's like you can, so, so you never know who you're encouraging and mm -hmm. those little seeds that you plant. And I think that um, that's another kind of ancestral trait that I have is that, you know, in, in my culture, cultures, both 
African-American and African, that your job is to plant seeds for trees you will never see. That's part of, that's, that's you know, so that's important. And, and um, number six is it's okay to ask for help, which is very, very hard when you're type A personality and you're in these positions of leadership. Um, number seven is bend, don't break. So um, I'm an extremely, extraordinarily resilient person. Um, at the same time, I don't want to be brittle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if I know how to, you know, be very nimble and adaptable and I know how to sway, uh, but if I sway too much, I feel it too hard, I know that I've done as much as I could or I can, I need to do something different. Uh, sway in the other direction or just move on to something else. And then the other pieces of this are, uh, you know, number eight is to find joy. And I have lots of joy in my work, but I also have lots of joy outside of work. Lots of joy outside of work. And, but I have to remember to put placeholders in, in my mind and in my schedule mm-hmm. to ensure that I am taking care of those pieces of my life. Um, and I've, I've tried to model this in our department and with variable results. But you know that I talk about, you know, limiting email on the weekends and at night, um, limiting texting and calling during those times, um, that we really need recovery time and downtime. We're highly, you know, we're high-performing professionals and we need to be able to perform at our highest level and we think we're performing at our highest level because this is what we've always done and then you turn around and read all these stories about burnout and low morale and and i'm like people these things are related and so you know um i i'm trying to model it but I, i i understand the resistance to it because people think well I'm not productive. You know, I I work very, very hard. And I actually work a lot on the weekends. I just don't, maybe I want to work uninterrupted on my time. You know? Mm -hmm. And maybe I want to spend the entire day with my family without an interruption because I know that at night I'm going to be working on my grant or I. I've woken up super early to work on my charts. But you texting me at noon disrupts that. I'm not on call. Mm -hmm. What is this? And you texting me at noon is not making me more productive. Right. So I think that that is is a message that I'm trying to model. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult. Uh, but I think it's important and you know what the work still gets done and you know what the work will still be there and you know what we're doing amazing things in our department and I want us around for a long period of time to do them so if I have a burned out cranky faculty helps nobody it doesn't help anybody Um, So nine is be grateful, and I'm very, very grateful for everything in my life, even the bad things that happened to me, because I have developed um, a way to learn from hard things, 
and um, I'm of course grateful for the really good things. And the final thing is to be the change. You know, we have these systems, these complex systems, complex institutions, policies and laws and procedures and all these things are seem so daunting and they're they're part of the problem. Um, but if something is systemic, um, it was created by people. So people have to figure out a way to change it. And mm -hmm. so it goes back to being the change and having courage and um, propagating transformative leaders. You don't have to have a title to be a leader, but understanding that this is, this is our time to change some of these things. That's what I got. Yeah, no, no, no. A title. <laughs> everyone, everyone. Oh, but the most rewarding is 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 being able to support people. Yeah. The most rewarding is when I, you know, when I meet with people and a person has a goal, like they want to get promoted and we get them the promotion and I get to make that phone call and it's kind of secretive because it still has to be voted on and that's like, uh, Yeah. You know? Awesome. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. I really, really love the podcast, and, and I, I think that it's a way for us to just learn about each other yeah. and, and for other people to learn about all the amazing things we're doing in our department. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.